The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap, bloody disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for IGN. I uh, write for other places if they'll have me. Ooh, I love that you're playing coy and mysterious about it. Coy and mysterious. I was in TV Guide a couple months ago, um, and I've pitched other ideas which they haven't taken. <laughs> sexy. <laughs> sexy rejection letters. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I co-host this podcast about TV series that lasted only one season or less. That's great. Isn't it just... Yeah. Uh, this is the last episode of Suddenly Last Season. It's a month-long-ish event, uh, in which we, uh, cover TV shows that only lasted one season this last season. They were Mm. very recently canceled. They're fresh in everyone's mind. Uh, some of them have cult followings already. Some of them were just weird. Uh, and this one was selected by our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we gave you a whole bunch of sci-fi shows. We couldn't decide which sci-fi show to cover. Uh, not necessarily from the sci-fi network, but just well, sci-fi sci- themed. Science fiction. Uh, it's one of our favorite types of genres to cover here on Cancel Too Soon. And uh, it was a very rigorous voting process. I actually wasn't sure what was going to win for a bit. But in the end, and I think because last year we covered Blood Drive, which is one of the best things we've ever found... It, it was quite a revelation. It was so damn it, good. It looked so bad, and we thought it was going to be super crazy, and it was crazy, but it, crazy in a great way. Yeah, really the best possible mm. way. Uh, just stop what you're doing right now, watch Blood Drive come back. Uh, yeah, so I think because of the popularity of that, I think it gave a little boost to another failed television series from the Sci-Fi Network, which, on the surface, and we'll talk about when you dig deeper, looks really crazy. It looks really crazy. It's got a really arch premise. It's really super high concept. Uh, like Blood Drive, it promises a lot of sex and violence. There's you know you nudity and decapitations and all the rest. And it's based in, just like Blood Drive, a really seemingly irresponsible mindset. Yeah. Which can be fun. Mm. And it can also not be fun. Uh, but let's talk about where, on which side of the equation... Lies a little show called Deadly Class. No matter the stakes, the weak always choke in the face of killing. You all committed the cardinal sin. You were caught. What is this? Detention. This school trains creative problem solvers to master the deadly arts. Meet Marcus, the new rat. Welcome to King's Dominion. Rain check on the celebration. You're at the bottom of the food chain, like us. You ain't got a rep. People to see you weak. And they come at you. 
Every opponent has a weakness. I'm Maria. You like Maria, huh? You better be careful. He's gonna kill you. That guy's all talk. <laughs> These animals see kindness as weakness. Safer to be a dick. It's a cold, cruel world. You can't survive without a family. Even if they are liars and murderers. Deadly class. Uh, yep, yeah, that's a one deadly class. That's a very deadly class you've got All there. Right. I, I think we should write a serious letter to the superintendent. About how deadly that class is. That class is a little too deadly. It's a it's a smidge um, deadly. Deadly class is based on a comic book. Yeah. Uh, by let me look up his name. Rick Remender. I'll keep keep on calling him Rick Remember. Uh, and Wesley Craig. Mm. It's an Image Comics series. Um, and it was the show was also uh, executive produced, uh, or sorry, div- uh, uh, like their names are on it. Mm. Uh, by the Russo brothers, who of course directed Avengers Endgame and mm. Captain America: Winter Soldier, uh, so it's got a big, uh, yeah, big pedigree in comic books. Well, and they're they're just executive producers. I don't think they had anything to do with the development of the show. Well, but, who's yeah. the, you know, we don't have well the, they, that, but and like, they also had a great television pedigree because didn't they come from Game of Thrones? The Russo the, brothers, yeah, didn't they? No, they came from Community. Oh, okay. I know they came from some popular television. No, they show. came from game, Community, which was a sitcom, which is a great sitcom. Game but of was, Thrones, Community, they're practically the same. They, basically, uh, they did a great paintball episode of Community, and that got them action movies. Well, they, they're good at balancing those action scenes. It so, works. So good. They got great second unit directors on all the all those yeah. things. Uh, it's also uh, also executive produced. It was developed by Rick Remender, who has a long, long history in uh, working in comic books, um, and uh, it was also uh, co developed and written by. Uh, Miles Orion Feldsot, uh, who has done other things before. He did a show called American Coco, uh, which I did not see. Yeah, I, I I wasn't really familiar with like the past work of apart from the Russos, any any of the people who worked on this show. Uh, the premise is a little odd. When did the com- uh, you said it was an image comic, which means yeah. it's probably like nineties two thousands. No, kind of it's comic. still going. Oh, it's going on right now. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a new comic. It's like a monthly series. That, okay. To the best of my knowledge, is still going strong. This feels like something like a V for Vendetta or Watchmen, where Ooh. these things are. Uh, these comic books were made in the 1980s specifically to comment on the politics at the time, mm. and then they waited like a little too long to make movie versions of those things. So the politics were like stale, and they didn't really read anymore. Maybe. Watchmen a little bit more than V for Vendetta, but V for Vendetta, from what I understand, was a a direct indictment of the Thatcher administration. It absolutely was. Uh, (laughs) When it comes to Deadly Class, I think uh, politically, I see what you're getting at, but Mm -hmm. I think in terms of the attitude, this feels more like uh, Mm -hmm. late 90s, throwing every offensive thing at Mm -hmm. a wall, seeing just what can get us noticed in a very thick marketplace. So the premise of the show, it takes place in like a parallel version of 1987 in America, uh-huh. where every in San Francisco, in San Francisco, where everything is like 20 times more horrible than it was. Mm. Uh, Ronald Reagan is in office. Um, and in fact, the action is kicked off by a real political act that Reagan uh, pulled off. Mm. He closed down a lot of mental institutions. Yep. And a lot of the people who were in the mental institutions didn't have anywhere to go. They didn't. They couldn't just like move home, so they moved onto the street. And Ronald Reagan essentially perpetuated a bad homelessness problem, 
which we're still going through today, especially here in Los Angeles and San Francisco big cities. Um, in the course of the series, it's explained that the main character, uh, he, he was happy with his parents as a, a young child when a recently released mental patient uh, committed suicide by throwing themselves off of a tower and that patient landed on his parents, killing them. Yeah. And he got to witness that. That sort of broke his brain a little bit. He moved into an orphanage that Dickens wouldn't ever think to write because it was so horrible. Mm-hmm. And in escaping, over, in escaping, in escaping that, yeah. he escaped the orphanage. And during that, the orphanage was set on fire. And now he is credited for murdering everybody inside the orphanage. Right. He and the opening episode, uh, our protagonist Marcus mm-hmm. Lopez, played by Benjamin Wadsworth. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's living on the streets. He's been on his own for a better part of a year, I think at this point, uh, when he is picked up by, uh, the principal of a secret academy mm. for assassins. Uh, the principal is named Master Lin. He's played by Benedict Wong, who, uh, probably best known to a lot of people for playing the character Wong in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, good casting there. He was also in The Martian. He's been, you've seen oh, he's great. Around. He's a really, he's, really he's, great he's actor. Around. He's yeah. really wonderful. Um, and uh, he's basically, our, our protagonist is brought in as part of a scholarship program to well, a normally very exclusive academy for assassins where every major mafioso, cartel leader, Yakuza clan, everyone sends their kids to this school to learn how to defend themselves and how to kill for their various mm. uh, crime families. But because the school was actually opened by someone with some principles, uh, some principles, uh, they decided they're, that... They're every, still murdering people. Every but, yeah. year, every year, there's a certain number of classmen are actually brought in based on general skill set, even though they have no criminal connections, mm-hmm. uh, in the hopes that and, they will actually be able to also make a difference mm-hmm. and they won't just be this self-perpetuating cycle well, of the same not, eight people running yeah, the world. Not just skill set, but also mindset. Like, yeah. they're, they're mentally prepared to become killers, and that's actually a big part of this show, mm-hmm. is, is your mind prepared to become... Uh, essentially, a, I'm not really sure if they're killers for hire or if they're just sort of killers. Because there's a some... lot of talk in the first few episodes about mm. thinking about what it is to go out into the world and just murdering, quote, the right people. Yeah. And nothing to do with being hired or, like, assassinating world leaders or the kinds of people that would need to be assassinated. Right. Uh, I'm watching this I'm and I'm thinking... How many assassins does the world need? I mean, come on. No, that's this is there, a question. You're, you're going to flood the marketplace with assassins. Once you've assassinated every world leader, there's still thousands of assassins well, hurting not, for work. Not everyone who's assassinated is a world leader. There are people mm. who are assassinated to uh, cover up conspiracies. There are people. Mm. I mean, we've seen that uh, people have been poisoned by like the Russian government because they yeah, spoke yeah, out yeah. against it, even though they were living in England at the time. There are people who disappear. Jimmy Hoffa, for example, just mm. gone one day. Um, Somebody needs to go to high school for that. Well, need to start them as teenagers. Look, look, Deadly Class. I, I don't have like an interview in front of me where where Rick Remender and his mm. um, the other combo creators uh, came up with this, but this seems to fit in very cleanly with a uh, genre trope in anime or manga, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically weird schools. Now, in the Western tradition, most famously, we have Harry Potter. Yeah. That's the most, that the Ur example is, and and, and, and the X-Men. It's not American. 
Harry Potter. I said British. the Western tradition. Oh, West. You're right. In the Western tradition, we have Harry Potter. Mm. We have the X Men. These are examples of people with cool powers Wayside. going to school to learn more about being cool. Wayside school. Yeah, yeah, that's not alone, but like mm. those going for the main biggest examples. Mm. Uh, but like in in anime and manga, there are tons of these. Are people going to? There's one I'm watching right now called mm. Welcome to Demon School Irumakun, <laughs> and it's about a kid who is a human boy, and his parents are such a holes that they sell him to a demon for money and fame. Mm. So now he is owned by a demon. But the thing is, the demon actually just doesn't have grandkids and wants to like lavish affection on someone <laughs> so he like gives him everything he wants and he sends him off <coughs> to demon school problem is if he's discovered being a human at demon school he'll be eaten uh, so, so that's to stay in disguise in demon school yeah that's, so the idea of like cute. some outsider coming into a weird cool yeah. school is a common type of trope so, in a lot of genre storytelling right now uh, and indeed there are this isn't even the only one about about assassins or people being trained to kill so it fits really cleanly into that mm. weird school genre. Yeah. Uh, but it's also drawing very strongly on um, the punk tradition. All of the episode titles are the titles of punk songs or the names of punk bands. And uh, it's c- clearly... Tr- and the soundtrack is fantastic. Like all, Oh, the all soundtrack of the, is impeccable. All of these new wave post-punk punk songs, like they are yeah, really impeccably chosen. The era is right. The attitude is just right. If you want a great soundtrack, just list, just look up the songs that were on Deadly Class yeah. and make your own playlist. I, I have issues with this show, but the soundtrack is not one the, of the, those the issues. Soundtrack it is, is great. The soundtrack is the only one thing they actually nailed. Yeah. And they're clearly trying to draw on uh, this kind of... It's actually something that came out in the early 80s, even though this is set in kind of the late 80s, of this kind of punk disaffection, this uh, anger at Reagan's government, the sort of rise of conservative America, and this... Mm underground rage that was bubbling underneath it. And that's where sort of the punk scene came up. Uh, you can argue whether or not it started in New York or, or London. It was kind of simultaneous, I yeah, think. Yeah, that but, argument is actually had within the show, and I yeah, appreciated that. I pre- yeah, I appreciate that they actually brought it up. They actually go to see uh, bands like the Adolescents in concerts. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, so you're doing your research in terms of music and the attitude the music is supposed to have. Mm-hmm. The problem is... This is not an angry show. It becomes really plot-driven and actually tries to be very conscientious by the end, Mm -hmm. which is something that uh, Blood Drive didn't have. Blood Drive just went for broke. It tried to show moral depravity in all of its glory, Mm -hmm. and that's what I liked about it. Indeed, there's like some fourth wall breaking stuff. I, I the characters a, took a lot of glee in how wicked they were. I think I think what took the edge off of Blood Drive and made it mm. seem yeah, it was it was gleefully irresponsible, but what made it palatable mm. uh was the unmistakable air of whimsy behind yeah, it. Yeah, well there's there's a lot of style it's to it. So yeah. broad you couldn't possibly take it seriously. The the thing that makes Deadly Class a something a somewhat harder pill to swallow for a lot of it mm. is that it is connected to relevant issues. Reaganomics, etc. Um, and its attitude is so adolescently angry. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that by the end of the season it starts maturing a little bit, but for a lot of it, a, our protagonists' voiceovers, for like, especially like the first half of the series, <laughs> are some of the most insufferable teenage mm-hmm. bullshit. 
Well, I have if, heard since I was an insufferable yeah. teenager spewing if, bullshit. If that, if it actually stayed in that, like deep in that sort of teen angst, like to the point where teen angst kind of overwhelms the world. And in the first episode, the very first one, our main character goes up on the roof. He's making a few new friends, and we'll get into the friends in a minute. And he states the goal of the series. And that's that he's going to assassinate President Reagan. Mm. If the series had been so bold as to have him actually assassinate President Reagan in this fantasy universe, then it would have had kind of a point to it. But I think it's it backs off, and mm. I'll get to why in a minute. Let's go well, to get to the characters. Yeah, let's for talk now. about the characters. It's a big, broad ensemble cast, mm. as it needs to be as a show mm. about school, because school is about various cliques uh, mm. and and various different points of view. Yeah, so we have um, Mar- Marcus. Alaguayo, uh, he's he's our main character. Oh, I'm sorry, I, his middle name is Lopez. Lopez, I yeah, I messed that up. Um, so uh, we have uh, <coughs> Lana Condor as uh, Saya. Uh, she is the uh, she's his sponsor at school. So if he screws up, she's responsible and she gets mm-hmm. punished too. So she's and she lured, lures him in by kissing him. So there's a little bit of romantic tension from the the, the word mm. jump. Uh, so she's she's the leader of basically the yakuza group at school. Uh, yeah, the the, uh, the cliques at this school are all um, like they're they're all like mob based. Mostly, so, yeah. So there's a there's a yakuza clique. There's um, like a, a racist Confederate clique, mm-hmm, who are very much the uh, mm-hmm. the cheerleaders and the very conventional John Hughesian yeah. type uh, uh, high schoolers. There's the the, the, the t- big tough Russian guy, the big tough Russian guy. There's the the Latinx clique. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and each one of these cliques seems to have their own kind of representative in the cast. Yeah. Uh, uh, then there's like two. There's a British punker and there's an American punker. I like that they bickered a lot. And mm-hmm. there's a goth girl, uh, and that's yeah. essentially our main cast. Well, and um, then also. Uh, uh, Maria Gabriela de Feria mm. uh, as uh, Maria Salazar. She uh, she is the one who she has a she has a gimmick, which most of them don't have yet. Yeah. Uh, Lana Condor is a is a ninja, but beyond that, she's the one who when she goes out uh, to train or to on like you know assignment missions or whatever, she gets dressed up in full Day of the Dead Sugar Skull mm. uh, attire, and yeah. her weapon of choice well, that's, that's, is that's a Maria. Yeah, I said Maria. No, you, you said Lana. No, I said, I was talking about how different Lana's oh, okay, a ninja, Lana. okay. but Maria... Maria dresses yeah. herself up in uh, Dia yeah. de los Muertos dress and yeah. makeup. And, and her signature weapon is a fan full mm. of knives, which is always fun. Mm. Um, and yeah, so we got the two punk rockers who are... They're all they're all part of the rat clan, not Maria, but the others. They're all, and uh, where um, th- that's the distinction for when you have no family ties. Mm. And as a result, you are the lowest on the totem pole. You're the victim of all the hazing. And something they talk about constantly, but we never get to in this first season, and we'll never get to because the show was canceled, uh, is uh, finals. And how no member of the Rat Clan has ever made it past finals. And what I suspect finals are is kill the Rat Clan. Yeah, probably. Like, if they survive a day. I suspect we're going, we were going to the most dangerous game territory. Okay. Yeah, um, but the students have to hunt each other. I, they're all yeah. killers, right? It'd be weird if they never yeah. did that. Um, the, the way these... Like, they introduce all of these cliques and these characters in the first episode, and it feels very high school, but the function of the school was a little vague for a few episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, 
So, oh, and we're, we're, he also has a best friend. Oh, yeah. Marcus um, has a best friend named uh, Willie. Yeah. Uh, he's the leader of the First World Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he's played by Luke Tenney. I really like him because he's, he's fun because um, he acts real tough, but we find out in the first episode he's actually a secret pacifist. Which I liked. Yeah. yeah that he's kind of hiding out and he, don't, he doesn't want to kill anybody. If anyone he knows he's a pacifist, anybody. he's dead meat. So mm-hmm. um, at the end of the first episode, they all have an assignment. Uh, the assignment is to find someone who deserves killing and kill them and don't get caught. Someone, someone who de- the someone who deserves killing, I thought was going to be the ethos of the series, right? Because they're training these people to murder, so go out into the world and be these essentially violent vigilantes. Yeah, just take out all of the evil in the world. This is a violent parallel universe. Why not have roving gangs of highly trained killers with yeah. gimmicks and? Again, if it had stayed on that track and stayed with sort of the teen disaffection mm-hmm. and mixed murder into that, we would have had a nice, morally irresponsible punk rock tale of r- teenage wrath mm-hmm. ruining the world. But and, the that, I- and that's a fine story to tell. But the irony, and I actually like this plot point. <clears throat> I, I agree maybe the follow-through is bad, but um, at the end of it, Marcus is the only one who kills anybody. He, when he was homeless, he knew a guy who was killing other homeless people. Mm. And he's like, perfect. I'll just kill that guy. That yeah. guy. That guy deserves to die. I've seen that guy. That guy deserves he's, to die. He's a murderer. He's just going to keep on murdering. I got to so, stop him. So he goes to kill that guy, but Willie ends up going with him and mm-hmm. just sort of they just happen to be together. And uh, Marcus kills him, but in order to help Willie protect himself, is like, and also it creates an alliance which Marcus really, really needs at school because he has no one to rely on. Uh, Marcus kills the guy, but he gives Willie the credit. Yeah. And so Willie, surprisingly, is the only member of the class who, who completed the assignment. Nobody else killed anybody. Nobody else killed anybody, either because they didn't have the nerve or they couldn't think of anybody. And in the second episode, we see that you know, Willie's getting all the attention. Willie's getting really, really popular. But uh, Benedict Wong notices that our protagonist is the one who's actually struggling with guilt. Mm. And which is probably part of the assignment. Is can, can the, you can you kill without guilt? Well, not even kill without guilt. It's mm. you're gonna the first time you kill, you're gonna feel guilt. Okay. So you need to have someone who you are very confident deserves to die, mm. and as a result, you can get, you can <coughs> overcome that guilt. Yeah. At least that's the ethos mm. I think the show is trying to espouse on behalf of the school. Um. So yeah, the first episode is pretty straightforward. He comes to the school. He learns the rules. We meet a lot of the cast. Uh, there is some romantic chemistry, not just with Lana Condor, but also with uh, Maria. Mm. Um, and, uh, Maria, Maria is dating the head of a, a rival gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's a real, who's a real dick. He's very abusive to her mm-hmm. and her flirting with Marcus probably isn't just attraction. She might be manipulating him in order to get yeah. out from under her, her abusive boyfriend. Yeah. Um, Getting getting him to do favors for because her. everyone there, there's a there's something people say in the oh we forgot to mention Petra the goth girl there's Petra the goth girl there's yeah. the, there's also the British punk and the American punk you mentioned uh, those characters you mentioned them um, but um, it was Petra the goth girl I think who says um, mm. in a school where everyone's trying to kill each other killing other students is supposed to be against the rules but people find a way around that uh, but in a school where everyone's trying to kill each other and everyone comes from like rival gangs and when they're when they graduate they're not going to be friends. Uh, niceness, friendship, these are weaknesses that can be exploited. And so it is considered mm. easier for everyone just to be a total dick to each yeah. other. Be- Benedict Wong's, Wong says something later in the series where um, if if you if you're determined to die for somebody, then surely you will. 
which is actually yeah. a good point. He talks mm-hmm. about how this is the downfall of every assassin, which I feel like is probably the downfall of every assassin in movies. Well, I'm, and that's probably the universe in which we reside. The, the idea that there are like a lot of assassins in the world is such a stupid movie idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it when you go go all out like in the John Wick series and it turns out a third of the world is assassins. Yeah. And the, the first uh, screen the first feature length screenplay I ever wrote was about that. It was about assassins. It was, it was, a, it was an assassins guild kind oh, of God. film. I've, it was I've, fun though. It was and it was really art. Mm, it was very okay. silly. I hate assassin guild stories. <laughs> because if you're an assassin you don't belong to a guild. That is so dumb. And well, like, we the, always see the training montage. How do you become a really great assassin? We never see them, like, at work because they're just killing people you know, and you know getting what, money for you it. You know what I'm increasingly convinced is probably maybe the great assassin movie, and it's based on a true story, but mm-hmm. uh, might be The Irishman. Yeah, maybe because so. Because the thing with The Irishman is that he is an assassin. He's called a house painter. That's what he, mm-hmm. that's what he does. He shoots people and he paints the wall with their blood. Uh, we see his entire life. He doesn't assassinate everyone. He's not no. working every week. Years go by before he's, he's actually asked to kill someone, and then he does. And, and then he and goes he, on and does other stuff. And he's not highly trained. He just blasts a guy in the face and dumps him off a bridge. He's, he's, you know, he's efficient. He knows how to do it. He knows how not to get caught. There's no, And he knows yes. how to then go about his business. There's that's no it. sword fans or roundhouse kicks or like look, fighting or sneaking. All that stuff is fun. When we look at action cinema, we heighten things mm. for dramatic and, and entertainment effect that's fine i accept that but there's got to be a line somewhere that can be crossed and as much as i love the john wick movies Mm. they cross them so hard especially that second one oh my goodness that second movie where they're meeting in central park and just like okay well i'm gonna send some assassins after you and john wick says oh yeah who and he kind of like blows a whistle and and literally every every single person in central park is an assassin that's not a like, that is not a thing. Made for a good opening sequence in the third movie. Oh my god, the first half that, hour of John Wick Chapter 3 is the best it, movie of the it's year. It's so great. It's so fucking Like, it is... It, it, I, I... Yeah, just impeccable action filmmaking. That oh, movie. goodness but Yeah, gracious. this idea that there's a high school for assassins is kind of hard to swallow. So you have to really present it as if it's a heightened fantasy world. And mm-hmm. I feel like... You have to go just full bore, just and, like... Yeah. We defy you to, to deny yeah. this. Just and, accept it. And I feel like... This series um, is coming out at the wrong time. We were just uh, reviewing uh, Whiskey Cavalier, yeah. which was a show about killers, but they're in touch with their feelings. Yeah. I, it was I, very actually, family friendly. I mean, I they saw, weren't killers. They were FBI agents and spies, but they kill people. They're for killers. Yeah. They kill people. They're just um, not assassins, technically. Uh, no. And, and I think I was watching the uh, pacifist character in Deadly Class and thinking that would have been a good wrinkle in Whiskey Cavalier. Mm. If the main character, the two main characters, one of them is a killer, but the other one isn't. Yeah. Um, the the male lead, and I totally forgot the character's name. It was like Buck Ace or something. Uh, it was Whiskey Cavalier. No, it was like was it was like name. Will something. Oh, no. it was Will, but Will, like his code okay. name was Whiskey Cavalier, so it's okay to call him that. Okay, Mr. Whiskey Cavalier. Uh, he's uh, hurting from a breakup. He's very sensitive. He's in touch with his feelings. He cares about his team. What if you just made him a pacifist as well? Mm. What if he tries to do all of this spy stuff without hurting or killing? Mm-hmm. And that would be an actual stronger counterpoint to the Lauren, Co- Lauren Cohan character, mm-hmm. who was all about violence and killing. Mm-hmm. That would have been a better show. No, I'm think. with you on that. That could have been a good. I think, uh, so that could have been a good starting point. Yeah. Where like maybe. He started off like any other agent, but then as time went on and he had certain experiences, he's like, I just can't kill. Yeah. Well, we need you to. And he's like, well, I'm really useful in all kinds of other ways. Can I just not kill? Okay, but we'll pair you up with someone who will. 
Like uh, that would have been actually that's a good setup for a show. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great setup for a show. Do yeah. that. That yeah. would have been a great way to to move Whiskey Cavalier. I feel like Deadly Class starts with pos- the posturing of anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the punk ethos, it is about sort of hatred of the establishment. It's all about rage and hate. Yeah. And and how unhappy you are with the way things are. So the only thing you can do is destroy the world and destroy yourself simultaneously. And destroy the concept of music. Yeah, and that's like, part that was definitely part of it. That's not an insult to punk. Like yeah. the, the whole thing is we're like breaking down the rules of what is acceptable in music mm-hmm. and like just a, making it about like just loud anger the, wailing yeah, and the, guitar screeches and uh, they're, they're not the angriest punk band, but the Ramones uh yeah. were big surf fans. They liked the Beach Boys and stuff, but they couldn't and they've admitted this in interviews. They couldn't play that well. Yeah. So, so they all figured their songs they could like three chords. They could they could cover it by choosing really simple songs and playing them loud and fast so you don't notice that they're not playing very well. <laughs> Low new aesthetic is born oh the Ramones are the best they're not <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, they're not the angriest but they're the best yeah this this is not Ramones punk this is like fear punk this right. is like Reagan kids punk well this I, is, uh... I wonder though if this if that's a comment though about mm. how that kind of anger is uh seems so important when you're young but it's actually mm. maybe a little mature well, and unproductive I think that this series and uh, the, the drama continues apace and I, we'll I, go through I, every I'm, I'm going to go through every episode but as the show goes on we become more and more involved in Marcus's uh, interpersonal dealings and his friendships and his affairs and it's more about uh like the uh, will the truth about his you know the orphanage slayings get uh, yeah, come he, to light and it yeah. turns out he didn't set the fire and he didn't kill any of those people and there was like a vicious serial killer is now on his tail um who wants, who wants his credit back for killing all those kids? Yeah, he Marcus got all the credit and the serial killer who's like this this scarred maniac who calls himself fuckface uh, wants all the credit now. Yeah, and so fuckface is a character who sounds like a Garth Ennis character from the '90s. It's really just this, like, look yeah, at how edgy yeah, we yeah. are. And again, which it's, is also very like, adolescent. Mindset. It's like something from Sin City. Um, yeah. But because as, because as we go along, it becomes about Marcus's interpersonal relationships and how he feels about these things, and it becomes a lot more like high school drama. Who is he going to date? Who is he going to kill? How is you know what what kind of secrets is he keeping? It's just assassin version of all these stories. Yeah, which you would see in my so called life, except for the kill uh, part. Pardon? Yeah, who's going to date? Who is going to kill? Not so much my so-called Well, instead, instead of you could like just restage it with murder, and it's deadly class. The Gilmore kills. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Beverly every- Hills, 9021, die. <laughs> um, uh, and it leans away from that angry punk mindset really early on, and it skews away from that kind of dark fantasy that it promised in the pilot. Yeah. And one thing I like in uh, in like the pilot, when he like mm. picks up his like textbooks and things, one of the things he's given is the Anarchist's Cookbook. That's right. That's one of their textbooks. Which, if you're not familiar with it, was a book of basically how to be an anarchist, how to prepare for the collapse of civilization, how to make bombs. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so incendiary, literally, uh, that there's actually, like, different versions of it out there which have, like, the rules are, like, actually, it's not how to actually do it. Yeah. Um, I have a version of it that I picked up at a swap meet. I don't know if it's the real version or not because I'm not gonna, actually going to make any of this. If you have an original 1971 edition, that will have all of the original like bomb-making yeah. material. So I imagine stuff. he has an original edition. Uh, the other thing they gave him, and I thought this was kind of fun, was a copy of Faces of Death. Yeah, that was, is, that was a little odd. Would, no, I think it's super punk rock. I think it's... Uh, well, it's, it's punk rock, but you know, it, it, it doesn't fit in with the tone of the show they ended up making. No, I think it does because the whole point of Faces of Death is this is something you're going to be looking at death. Mm-hmm. Get used to it. Yeah, I, I Faces think... of Death. If you're not familiar with it, was a documentary, some mm. some real, some faked, 
uh, that was basically people and animals dying. Yeah, real death on videotape. And yeah. it was... Um, it was like the edgy thing. It was the uh, the thing that the unhappy goths watched, you know, just on a Saturday night. It was something you only kind of watched as a dare. And there are actually mm. multiple sequels to it. Um, mm. The stuff of people dying, mostly faked. The the stuff, like, yeah, like, there's staged suicides, for instance. Yeah. The, the animal deaths, I think, were all real. Yeah, um, that, they, kind there of, was... that kind of crazy-ass yeah, there was... documentary footage. That was actually in movies at the time. There's mm. a reason. There's certain movies that I know they're like important cult films that I'm just not going to watch just because I don't want to watch there's animals a, die. It's like Cannibal Holocaust has a few animal deaths I on don't, camera. There's no um, reason they, to do that. They kill a chicken in uh, Pink Flamingos. Yeah. And, and John Waters has been uh, pointedly unapologetic about that. It's like, what? People kill chickens by the score every day just because we killed one. You're going to get yeah. on my, my case for it. Mm-hmm. And and then they then they didn't just throw it away. They actually ended up like plucking and cooking and eating well, the chicken. Well, I, I have I have that, that. I think that's better than just doing it for the entertainment value. But yeah, mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about a lot of that, and some very harsh feelings about a lot. But of that. yeah, the, Faces of Death is is hard edge. Like you you need to have a pretty strong constitution to sit through that. Yeah, Deadly Class is a puffball in comparison. The, 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 the actual <laughs> the show, rage... I'm talking the about what, what they're teaching the kids yeah, in but, terms of how to get but used the, to the death. Show, the show itself is just doesn't have that kind of actual obsession to death. And I looked up Rick Remender. Rick Remender uh, is 46. He's a little older than me. Mm-hmm. Which means he probably grew up with a lot of this punk stuff. Sure. And if he's going to make a comic book now, he's probably... You know, it's a nostalgia trip for him. He's thinking back to the time when he was really... In me- like sunk really deep in the punk ethos and all of this hate and death. Mm-hmm. I don't know the tone of the comic. It probably reads a lot more hard edged than this show, which is a really but- hard edged show. Like for mm-hmm. for a basic cable thing, yeah. there's there's really serious violence. There is uh, there's not really nudity, although there's a lot of sex. There's some nudity. Nah, right? not ha- there's some there's some male butt. There's some male butt. There's some like nude bodies from the side. Yeah, yeah there's not, but like, like full frontal nudity. No, nothing anything, that would get yeah. you an R rating just for the nudity. Right. Uh, there's yeah, foul language akimbo. It's foul language akimbo. And uh, and a lot of subject matter which is just vile. Well, I mean, it, it is an assassin school, and there's yeah. all these uh, you know people who are manipulating one another. Um, what other plot points are there? Oh, and oh, well, it, uh, we, as, we, as we go, go along, through, yeah, but... we uh, we talked about Fuckface and how he becomes kind of a major player. Uh, Maria's boyfriend uh, ends up getting killed pretty early on. Oh, well, not super early. He's like halfway through. So let's go through mm. it episode by episode. Right. So uh, the first episode, we're introduced to all the characters he goes to school. Mm. Cool. Uh, second episode is the big party episode. And this is an episode in which uh, Marcus starts realizing that he needs to socialize. He needs to actually like build himself up a cadre. So he finds out that one of the nerdy guys, I think he's like the son of like a prominent mob accountant mm. or someone who like funds coup d'etats and various you know, countries. And he's like a nerdy accountant type. Yes, yeah, so he's the nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he turns out his, they're, they're going through a dry spell and no one can get booze or drugs. There's a lot of people doing booze and drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he finds out that this kid's house has a lot of booze in it. So he basically invites everyone over for a big party. And this is a huge party. People say that they love each other, but then they sleep with other people. Uh, and for whatever reason, Brian Posehn is there. Brian Prosane's the creepy old hippie dude who get who sells them weed. Yeah, he's just the guy. He's like the fifty-year-old guy at a high school party mm. who's just there talking about how cool music is, and he's basically a loser because this is the best social mm. scene he can get behind. But he's Brian Posehn, 
So we do love him. <laughs> yeah, Brian Brian Posehn's a funny guy. He's actually he he a lot of his stand up routine is about how sort of how scary he looks. He comments on his own look a lot. Yeah, uh, he says, "Look, look at me. I can't do a lot of night digging. <laughs> <laughs> Some things I just can't say. Like, hey, cute kids." <laughs> Brian Posehn's very funny. Um, but yeah, he he actually has sort of a warm quality in this show, yeah. and uh, he points out that the problem with this generation, the punk generation, is there's no weed. And punkers were all about sort of energizing yourself up, about powering yourself up. So it was all like sort of cocaine and booze yeah. in that scene. Yeah, it was not about laying back and being chill and talking yeah. about your problems. Um, the next episode uh, mm-hmm. is uh, the is a big hazing episode, uh, the Snake Pit, yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, there's a big dance. Turns out they actually have school dances at this assassin school, and a part of me is just like, why? <laughs> I understand you want to like get some of like your you know get some of that youthful energy out but like they go to a room that has like a stage do you have a theater class <laughs> this is one of those things like I've often complained about Harry Potter about how they never learn shit like math or yeah. reading and I realize they should know that some of that before they go in but it's a school you can't only learn magic come on so here's an assassin school if we're only high schoolers I would buy that they don't have much in the way of artistic electives. Which is weird because this is such a school that is obsessed with with aesthetics and yeah. traditions. You would think that, you know, these people who are trying to come up with assassin gimmicks would know ancient literature and stories of battles and yeah. history. They would know the way these things were depicted in art and literature. They would have to read and study the history of violence mm-hmm. to understand what they're doing. Yeah. If there's, I were to start an assassin school, I would make those requirements. Well, there's a bit in one of the episodes where they're, they're attacked by people all the goddamn time. And, they're attacked uh, by each other. They're attacked by you know, each other's rival clans, whatever. And like, there's a bit where like they're injured and one of them's just like, well, he's just going to die because we don't have a first aid kit. I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me that you're being trained to kill people, but you're not being trained to, like, seal up wounds? Mm. Like, you're in, you're in violent situations. There's going to be injur- unforeseen injuries. Well, for, for, Surely you can, like, cauterize your own wound or something? This yeah. is something that would be useful to know, be life-saving to know. Mm. And on top of it all, knowing how the human body works... Would be a really useful thing to know if you're trying to prevent the human body from working. Now, there is... We haven't mentioned him yet, actually. There is a poisons teacher... Ah, ...who teaches poisons, and and he is played by Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins, who is great in this show. Who is great in this show. He's my favorite part of the show. He's turned into a pretty good actor over the years. Yeah, and Henry Rollins from Black Flag, of course. And, you know, uh, they got a legit punker to to give a little bit of cred to this show that has no cred. And he's the uh, mildest presence. He's mild. um, He talks about how uh, he and his his boyfriend, his boyfriend died because of Reagan's evil status on AIDS and how he just refused to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a setting, you know, research back and everything yeah, like yeah. And preventing so, care. From, yeah. It was so a horrible situation. He actually has this uh, great speech about the politics of the time and what the show was ostensibly supposed to be facing toward was yeah. this disaffection with Reagan's America. Uh, but then he's killed. <laughs> no, he doesn't, doesn't he get away. Or does he get away? He, he escapes. The idea is he he uh, after he talk, wants to get out of the school. He, after talking to some up to Marcus and how he really wants to like you know have be a political assassin. Yeah. Uh, he uh, uh, he actually starts saying like his teacher starts saying that's why I got into this. I mm-hmm. wanted to to change the world. That's why I want to retire and go back mm-hmm. and and do 
you know, be be more proactive. But yeah. Wong is like, we don't really do that. You're kind of like in for life, and even though we're friends, I would have to like kill you. Yeah. So can you not? And Henry Rollins is just like, no. <laughs> and then Benedict Wong goes. Turns out he has a boss. His boss is his own sister, who lives in a uh, uh, an office mm. with human furniture, like living human beings who like stand there holding <laughs> her desk aloft. And I'm it's like, like, it's like, they the have mannequin. a lot of upper body strength. It's, it's like the mannequins in uh, uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, but they're actual humans. Cl- Clockwork Orange. That's what this show should have been. Well, yeah. should have had that kind of violent nihilistic attitude. Perhaps. Um, although the original ending Clockwork Orange is is more p- optimistic than that. Mm. Um, but yeah, he goes to his sister, who actually was actually running things, and uh, she was just like, "No, you got to kill him." And he's like, "Can we not?" And she's like, "No." He is Henry Rollins, after all. Yeah, and, she, and she's just like, "No, no, we we kill people, and you're getting soft, and I'm actually really worried about that." And then Long's like, "Crap, okay." So he tries to kill Henry Rollins. He doesn't because he tries to do it with poison. <laughs> and Henry and, Rollins and he's is just poison's like, expert. Yeah. I smell the poison. I don't know what <laughs> And so they have a big fight. Henry Rollins escapes. And oh, I, thought, that, I thought he killed Henry. Henry I Rollins. thought he escaped, yeah. but whatever. It's it's one of those things where here's one of my issues with the show. It's visually, it's trying so hard to be visually distinctive. It ultimately turns out visually vague, because mm. everything is so dark and moody and hazy. It's actually hard to get a good geographic sense of where everyone is and what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and that's really a bad thing to do in an action series because mm. you really need to have a sense of place. Yeah. Of placement, you know, where people are, how people mm. are fighting, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, but by this point, Benedict Wong is, uh, he's on her shit list, and she starts, like, walking around to various classes and making sure that they're teaching people to be as hard-assed as possible, and, mm. like, if you're... She becomes, like, the, a free-floating TA. She becomes a Melda Staunton in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, basically. Oh, there you go. You know, just making sure everyone's really mm. harsh and shitty. Um... Meanwhile, our protagonists are going through all of their shit. Uh, one of our... Uh, okay, someone's doing loud constructions outside. I hope that's not the, too uh, annoying. Um, the, but the, what, the strip club we live next to is now gone. They've taken out the entire building, and yeah. they're, now they're just digging a big hole. So yeah. we apologize for yeah, that. Yeah, this is when we can record. Sorry. But um, uh, one of the punkers, it turns out, he is at the school to train to be an assassin so he can pay off his dad's gambling debts to the mob. And his dad is an abusive shithead. So what he does is he convinces all his friends to go on a road trip on the weekend and kill his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go to Vegas, where his dad is. This is my favorite episode. It's a good episode. Uh, they all do way too many drugs. Well, they... It, it's this is supposed to be the homage to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. There's and, actually uh, a shot of a guy who's dressed just like Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, yeah, yeah, which it's so limp because clearly the makers of the show haven't read it or seen the movie. But uh, yeah, they, they I think take, they read it. I just don't think they read it too deeply. Yeah, maybe not. But uh, all of the students take a single hit of acid. Uh, Except for Marcus, Marcus who takes thinks, seven. Marcus thinks it's fake acid, so it's like, oh, fine, I'll just take them all. And there's like, oh, well, that that was real. So the rest of the, the episode is kind of this weird acid trip, which is told through a lot of really interesting filmmaking techniques and a lot of animation. Yep. Uh, it's a gorgeous we, episode. And in fact, when we have flashbacks for any of the characters' past, it's told with an animated sequence. I mm-hmm. like the animation, uh, even the storytelling. Kill Bill. Is, yeah, 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 that kind of format. Um, I think because... It's a way to show children being exposed to violence without actually having to expose children to violence. It helps. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Because everyone, everyone has a horrifyingly <clears throat> traumatic childhood. Yeah. yeah. So, so in order to depict that, they showed animation. And that's yeah. a, a good way to make it keep the show really stylized and also not have to see like children in actual peril. 
Stop um, digging up concrete! <laughs> but, um... Bastards. The ultimate point of the episode is kind of elusive. I'm not sure what being on this acid is supposed to reveal to Marcus. I think it's but I, his journey, I think it's style. his journey, and sort of the confrontations he sees just make it really visually distinctive. And I appreciated the creativity that went into the visuals, even though I don't like, the, even though I think the writing is really vague. Well, and this is an episode where uh, actually uh, the guy goes sees his dad. His dad mm-hmm. starts killing him, and Marcus is the one who kills his dad. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought we were going here is kind of interesting because everyone who is supposed to be in this school, mm. Marcus is in here under false pretenses. He, no one knows that, but like he is. He's, he didn't kill anybody. Mm. But now that he's here, he's got a, a bigger kill count than anybody after like three episodes. So I thought we were going to have a comment here about how these sort of ruling classes have actually become all about like style and pomp and how actually it's the people who are passionate and young and political. They're actually the ones who are going to get shit done. Okay. Yeah, and I can see it. I mean, it doesn't go all the way with, but that's, that's, starts that's a good, there. that's a great observation. It starts there. And I mm. thought we were going to really, and maybe over time they would have gone there, but mm. the the series gets sidetracked from this episode on with a lot of plot because Maria's boyfriend, who's now jealous of her and Marcus because they almost had sex and he catches them almost having sex. Um, he comes in and he's going to kill Marcus and then Maria kills him. Yeah. And this is all in Vegas. And Wait, does she, no, she doesn't kill him. Yeah, her, she her, um, like his lieutenant kills no, him. No, no, he kills him. She kills him. She, okay. She does it with her with her fan, remember? And it sets his throat because oh. he's about to kill Marcus. Right, 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 right. Okay. So they kill him and they basically freak out and don't even have time to get rid of the body. Mm-hmm. So they just run. Uh and uh that's when Fuckface shows up. And Fuckface has been tracking Marcus. Fuckface is now living at the house where they had that party. And Brian Posehn is now like his, like his weird prisoner, kidnapping yeah. victim. Like Channing Tatum at the end of This Is The End. Like he's getting kind of used to it and it's weird. Uh, hey, could, could you just ask your underlings to stop stabbing me? Dude, no. All right, well, <laughs> thanks for hearing my grievance. Mm. <laughs> he just walks out. It's such a weird performance. And, uh, and, and so he steals uh, uh, Maria's boyfriend's body. Mm. And at this point, this dude was like, A, the, the eldest son of a major cartel boss. Mm-hmm. And a big wig at the school. And so he can't just disappear. People want to know what the fuck happened. And now Maria has been put in charge of finding out who killed him. Even though she did it. Mm. And they don't know what happened to the body. The body just vanished. And it turns out Fuckface has the body. And when Fuckface finally contacts Marcus, he Marcus has to find Fuckface in order to get the body back and get them all off the hook so they're not mm. all going to get killed. That's that's the plot of the series. That's the plot of the second half of the, of the so, yeah. season, at least. Yeah, and it all gets welled yeah, up into and, that. And, and there's also the subplot about how um, Master Lin uh, actually has a daughter that he's been trying to hide from other gang members so they don't yeah, come he, in and kill his daughter. He said he's been saying for years that his wife and daughter were murdered when in actuality he goes home to see them every night. Yeah, and been, they're, they're a secret because he doesn't want them to be actually murdered. Mm-hmm. Or, now or he is, doesn't want his daughter to be inducted into assassination but, school But I, I think he even kept it a secret from his sister and his, when his sister finds out about his family that puts him at risk. Yeah, it's real bad. Because she's all on his bad side. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, they, in order to find Fuckface, they actually enlist one of their teachers. One of their teachers is a Hannibal Lecter-esque serial killer, played by, weirdly enough, French Stewart. You know what? French Stewart is actually... He's good in this. He's, he's, he's a pretty good actor, I'll say that. He's, uh, yeah. He's Stewart known is... for playing, like, you know, the, the squinty alien on Third Rock from the Sun, but he actually has a bit of range. Yeah, no, this is a good against type mm. uh, kind of role. I actually, when I first saw him, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, Frank Whaley. 
Oh yeah, I can like see he's that, got like yeah. that kind of Frank Whaley esque mm-hmm. vibe. But um, yeah, Fred Stewart plays. Uh, he's their psychology professor. He teaches people how to like how to exploit people's psychology, and uh, they're like, "Listen, we need to find this serial killer, and we don't know how." And so they let him out, and they put him on a leash, and he's just like, "Okay, if you take me to all my favorite restaurants, I'll I'll tell you where the killer is." <laughs> yeah, and he does. And he in in this sequence, he actually throws a lot of their young stupid philosophies in their face, and he's talking about how like, "Oh, you want to kill Reagan so it'll make you feel better?" Well, that really doesn't make you any different from any other psychopath. And that's when Marcus is just like, oh, okay, well, maybe. Well, and and, and so what's the point of the series now? You yeah. know, there, we're, we were if we're setting this in the '80s and we're trying to make this this big indictment of the Reagan administration, why are we having these conversations about how killing is wrong? Mm. And by the end, at least with the protagonist, I like. I feel like every one of the killers that he meets mm. should become less murdery because they met him. While ironically, Marcus is becoming more yeah. more dark, more uh, uh, malevolent, and more murdery. That's the arc. That's what you got here. That's a great storyline. And at the end, you can find out he's actually the bad guy and everyone else has to stop him. Like, you could have done that. That's a great way to do this. They don't do it, but it's a great way to do it. And and, Well, and we reveal here that this is not an angry show. Mm -hmm. It picked up a lot of the the aesthetics of punk, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't pick up the actual anger of punk. And I think... Well, it can't maintain the anger of punk. I think that's the real problem. But, but I don't think it ever had the anger anger of punk. It had mm. a few of like a, a few brief conversations about the anger of punk. The okay. way it, like it started out really strong with the yeah. anger, but this is not an angry show. Mm. This has this is a show that's not angry about anything. It's very performative. It's it's a kind of anger that is borrowed. It's nostalgia anger, mm. and I feel like yeah, it's easy really... to be mad at Reagan because in retrospect we can just see everything wrong with yeah, Reagan. But, like, what about today? Today is actually more But relevant, even a teenager yeah. today, they don't know from Reagan. Reagan has ancient history Exactly my point. Uh, and, um, it's safe it's to be safe. mad at Reagan. The only people who are mad at Reagan are 46-year-olds, like the guy who created the show, the comic, Rick Remender. I'm still mad at Reagan. I'm still mad at Reagan, too, but I'm 41. Okay, I'm in my 30s <laughs> as the child in I was, the room. I was, uh, I, I was two years old when Reagan was first elected president, so, you know, I was, I was there. It was all throughout my childhood. Um... And yeah, the more I've learned about sort of all of those policies, the more I realize we have good reason to be angry with that entire eight-year period when, yeah. when Ronald Reagan was, par- was that president. Was a, that was a really, hmm. really, really bad time. It was a really bad time I'll, I'll, in many, many yeah. ways. We, Everybody we, says the, the entertainment was great. Mm, yeah, the entertainment well, was up. great because it was distracting us from the worst possible shit. <laughs> and so if it succeeded, it's uh, great entertainment, but... It's actually a problem. Yeah, notice they didn't make a Watchmen film in the '80s. We had to wait until when did that movie come out? Two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. When it was when who cares anymore? And yeah, I feel like really felt kind we're, of toothless. We're bringing Although something I heard the new like, show is good. I've it heard takes place now. The new show takes place now. Yeah, I've I've, yeah. I've also heard that. Um, yeah. But here we are with Deadly Class about teenagers in nineteen eighty seven, but it's made in twenty nineteen mm-hmm. uh, for a twenty nineteen generation mm-hmm. who frankly don't have that rage. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think this is a generation. I don't know if we can say this that. generation I, I, has a lot to be angry about, yeah. and, and the economics suck, and the job market is bad. But this is also a generation that's very open about uh, mental health and talking about feelings and identity, and uh, they're much more politically aware than kids were in the 1980s. The 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 1980s were. I think we're kind of, I think we're selling. We're far different, is my. Of point. course, they were different. And I the, think we're selling eighties of... people, eighties teens, mm. short mm. by saying that they weren't as political. They weren't as they weren't I'm on ta- social well, media talking about it I, as often. That doesn't mean they didn't know anything. They they but they did. But it was all like underground. It was all sort of like zines and punk rock, that yeah. sort of stuff. And okay. my point is that kind of wrath, that kind of 
need to take down the system, that kind of anarchy, the kind of people who would buy the anarchist cookbook and watch Faces of Death videos for fun. I think that's a class of youth that is so way off to the side that they're not even they can't even be mentioned anymore. Yeah. And the mainstream youth culture is actually far more warm and positive. And the only way they can get any wrath is to borrow it from the previous generation. Mm. And I think that's what that's what I see happening in Deadly Class. It's love... a, a, a warm generation that is concerned about feelings and ethics, mm-hmm. trying to co-opt something that is about fuck your feelings and destroy the world. I wonder if we're trying mm. to... Rem- the the storytellers mm. are trying to remind young people. This is clearly aimed at young people. It's very adolescent in its sense of humor. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of... Honestly, I really I know they're going for bad people in a, in a previous time. I could have done with a hell of a lot less homophobia and yeah. misogyny and... A lot racism. Of, there's racism. A raci- there's a there's ra- a, like an outright racist clique. Yeah, like I like, could have. Th- and I again, I know you're having them as characters, but I wish the show didn't find them quite so cute. Yeah, like that's. I really could have done with a little less of that. But w- w- let's put that aside for a second. I feel like they're trying. The show is trying to tell young kids to be angry, but then yeah. it doesn't really have it, but it's the not, wherewithal to follow through it, on. It's that. not itself angry enough. Yeah. It, it's. I imagine the source material is a lot angrier than this. I, I don't know, just, but just, just looking at the age of the creator, I can kind of glean that he was perhaps mm-hmm. into a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's making a comic about it, or at least he admired it. If it wasn't a punker himself, he well, probably knew I, punkers. I, th- I think they're making the argument that mm-hmm. human connection and uh, mm-hmm. working together to solve problems is better than just being angry dicks who don't talk to anybody. Exactly. Working together to solve problems is a very modern ethos. I Well, we, it's we, not. We, it's, you it's, and, you it's, and I came up society. In, you and I came that's up the in function, the, uh, That's the foundation of society is that we work together you, to solve you and I, no, no, that's not true, because you and I came up during the, the 1990s, and 1990s was the rise of, A, the phrase political cor- politically correct, yep. so political correctness. A.K.A. not being a dick. Not being a dick, taking other people's uh, feelings into consideration, yep. trying to consider every group, yep. and also the notion of multiculturalism, that yes. all cultures are equal, they operate differently, but they're all working toward a common goal. Yeah. That didn't come up until the 1990s. Okay, I'm not talking that's about a, that's a Clinton era uh, hey, ethos. Hey, hey, first off, let's not give Clinton credit for that. No, but, like, but I'm just saying. Just, I, just, so I, I didn't say like, Clinton. I said Clinton era. I just want to yeah. make sure that that's clear. We're not right. giving Clinton credit for that. Um, but uh, first off, multiculturalism predates that. But re- regardless, um, my 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 point is this: that's a measured response to punk. Like, oh, mm. you're punk. That's cool. But you know, what would really be effective is if you grew up a little bit. Mm. You're mad that they're not sustaining the punk. Yeah. I feel like they rushed the evolution. And, like, this whole first mm. season should have been nothing but anger and punk. Yeah. And then, oh, as the time progressed, oh. we should have characters just sort of crisscross as some become more well, mature and yeah. some become less mature. If, if that might have been stronger. And I guess we can jump to this part. If the show had lasted, you know, seven years. Yeah. If, you know... Here's the thing about the punk rock ethos. If you live it right, you die. But the point... <laughs> The, the point is to drive yourself into death. Look at somebody yeah. like Darby Crash. I you know, know. Look at look at, I'm not look laughing at Joy about, Division. I'm not know? laughing about death. I'm just yeah. laughing about like that's it's ironic uh-huh. that the entire purpose of a movement is to basically it's to reject just, life. It's yeah, it's to it's to destroy itself, and, yeah. and that that's your statement. I'm going to destroy myself to make a statement. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you look at Ian Curtis. You look at you, Sid Vicious. You, yeah. All these. All these people who lived the punk lifestyle until they were dead, um, or or had committed murder. You know, th- there was a lot of this death, and I think if you had 
followed these kind of punker characters set and if they had survived all seven years that's when you have to start considering what do you do when you're actually outgrowing Mm -hmm. your artificially placed expiration date right it's like i i only intended to live to the end of high school what do i do now that i'm pushing 30 right there's a really fantastic uh, documentary film out there called the other f word and it was about uh like people who were in punk bands like actual punk rockers and how they had to change their ethos of the world when they became fathers. Mm-hmm. The, and the other F word is fatherhood. Oh, okay, and, cool. um, yeah. I, I don't know this one. Yeah, yeah it, it, little tiny thing. But um, yeah, yeah it, it was about how if you're a punk rock, you can't live the punk rock lifestyle and live to be a parent. And when you're a parent, you kind of have to change your view on the world. It forces you to do that. Mm. When you grow up, you have to change your view on the world. And if we're going to follow a punker seven years and the entire arc of the series is about how he eventually has to change his view, let go of some of his hate or direct his hate elsewhere or become an activist of a different sort, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I forgot his name. The, the lead singer of Jars of Clay, the Beds Are Burning Band. I don't know. How do we sleep when our beds are burning? I know. I um, know. Okay. Uh, he became a member of Australian Parliament. Oh, like he actually became a politician and, and fought injustice in a new kind of way. Yeah. So either you go full bore with the punk and you make them literal presidential assassins and Reagan is dead by the end of season one and we have to deal with the fallout of that. Yeah, we're all taking place in an alternate timeline. Yeah, because yeah. it already is kind of an alternate timeline. Kind of. Uh, it's a fantasy universe. It has an assassin high I, school, for God's sake. Yeah, I don't know if it makes it an alternate timeline mm. or not or just, you know, sort of impressionistic. Mm. But Yeah. Um, or... Yeah, you said it's rushed because they've already kind of outgrown everything by the end of the first season. They've outgrown everything by the end of the third episode. A lot of them. A A lot of them. Like, the music is still there and they're still going to see the adolescence and there's, like, still violence and sex, but... Yeah, they're more concerned about who's sleeping with each other than about killing anybody. The notion of of hard-edged entertainment, like underground hard-edged entertainment, doesn't exist in the world of Deadly Class. Not really. These Uh, kids have not seen Class of 1984. They've not seen Smithereens. Uh, They've probably not even watched... Maybe they've watched Sid and Nancy. They do read comics. Um, One of of them even works at a comic book store. Superhero comics. They read, like, Superman comics, but yeah. No, they're reading Grim Jack. They read some other stuff, but... um, which certainly is a conventional superhero <clears throat> comic. Uh, the series ends with uh, they fi- they track down Fuckface. Mm. Fuckface has basically turned the nerd kid's house mm-hmm. into I don't know where he attracted his cult. He just sort of moved he in sort and of just has sort of, one. That's and right. now there's just a whole bunch of weird like the hills have eyes people who yeah. just sort of live with them now and do his bidding and it's really gross. And they they even say a phrase like. They don't say hillbilly, but they say, my folks were from the hills, yeah. which had eyes. <laughs> like, they, 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 they make a few, like, yeah. direct allusions And to they've, stuff. like, booby-trapped it with, like, mm-hmm. death traps and everything like that. You gotta wonder how, like, the mail gets delivered. No, no one's noticed yet. But, uh, and then it's all this big fight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, meanwhile, Benedict Wong loses his daughter. His uh, sister kidnaps his daughter. Uh, that, and then, at the end of it all... Everyone has a big old fight. Everyone's mad at each other, etc. They kill Fuckface. Mm. Uh, and, uh, well, and they confront him about something. And this is something that actually speaks to youth today. Because uh, Fuckface is, uh, wants credit. That's yeah, been his, wants, his he motivation. He talking about how he wants to be on Donahue. Yeah, he wants is, to be yeah. such a famous serial killer, he becomes famous. Yeah, which was, if you want a better version of that story, watch Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. Yeah, uh, really because, great movie. Because that's actually 
Talk about real like, anger in that one, too. Real anger, a lot of, like, hard-edged violence. Yeah, yeah. that one... That's intense. Taps right into it. This is, like, wannabes, natural-born killers. Um, but uh, Marcus confronts him and says that you don't want fame. You want the things that fame brings. You want adoration. Essentially, you want to be loved. Yeah. And what's your what you're lacking in your life is love. And... Fame is a, kind of a poor excuse for the connection you're looking for. In the world of social media, that's a good message. Because yeah. people are putting putting themselves out onto social media as if they are a personal brand. Everybody's branding themselves. The yeah. version of Please yourself. Please love and, my brand. Yeah, my, my brand is me. I, have, I do certain things on social media. This is who I am on social media. This is how I want you to think of me. Everybody's subconsciously forming their own brand, probably whether or not they know. You know that's what subconsciously means. Um, so if you're going to have this big confrontation at the end about how putting yourself out there as a celebrity is just a way to look for love, that makes sense in 2019. If that's your message, why is it said in 1987 and why did you do all this punk shit up until then? It, it's, well, it's, it's not really it's because so conflict- it, 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 they do the whole thing. They uh, do the whole King of Comedy thing where he's built like a whole like TV station in the basement. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Brian Posehn is like his co-host. Yeah. It's so weird. He's so laid back that even a serial killer can't bring himself to kill him. There's a bit where like the guy like drives, the guy turned his car into a Mad Max mobile and like Brian Posehn is mounted on the front wearing like a bunny costume mm-hmm. with the nipples cut out. And, like, he drives down the street and he finds a victim, but Brian Posehn rolls up first because he's on the car. And he looks at the lady and he's just like, hey. Hey, what's up? No, he says, hey, this is about to get weird. (laughs) (laughs) That that Brian Posehn sort of way. He's a great character. He's such a, we needed that weird. Well, we need some levity in the show. It's it's so, it's kind I think it's supposed to be a dark comedy, but the comedy yeah. doesn't read. But I, here's the damn thing, though: that whole like section where he's built his own TV station in the in the basement and everything mm. like that, and of course it's referenced to King of Comedy. Um, I feel that's a better version of the ending of the Joker than the ending of the Joker because it actually mm. gets into his head. Because at the end of the Joker, it feels more performative than anything else. Yeah. When he's talking about how he's not political, he doesn't even give a shit about not being political in that movie. Fuckface is being genuine. Yeah. Fuckface, you know, as horrifying as he is, and he's a really scary villain, actually. Um, he's being sincere, and we're getting more from him than I think we got from the Joker, ironically. Well, well, I mean, the Joker, the whole point was that he was a nihilist, that he he believed in nothing, and that's a a difficult thing to climax on. Yeah. It really, really is. But but he also, in the end, what he wanted was adoration. He wanted to be famous. He wanted Mm. to be a stand-up comic. He wanted people to love him. And and so they kind of do, and that's... Frankly, feels kind of cheap to me. And here he gets it thrown back in his face, and just when he thinks he might feel love again, no, seriously, you're a fuckhead. Mm. And then they kill him real yeah. bad. And um, and then it ends. The, the cliffhanger sucks actually because it ends with them just leaving yeah. the house, and then uh, the mafioso who's like uh, the cartel guy whose son got killed. They like come out and they've got his head because that's why they needed to kill Fuckface was to get this body that's back right. so they, no they, one would the, know they killed him. The son's head. Yeah. And then he just shoots one of the punk guys and then that's it. It yeah. feels like, and I know this was a 10 episode order, so this is a 10 episode show. They reached the end of the first season. It feels like there was one episode left in the season and we were going to build to something bigger. It really yeah, feels it, like a really limp cliffhanger. It's a limp cliffhanger and... That the resolution of the first season is just that they kill Fuckface? It's like, yeah. 
First of all, Fuckface wasn't introduced at the beginning. It was kind of introduced a little bit of the ways in. Like three episodes in. But he was, I never felt that he was like the central antagonist of the show. He was like a subplot for the longest time. No, he's an interesting subplot. And he's also also kind of like a comic relief, like he's an evil, horrible person, but he's also kind of a comic relief character because he's the only one who's having any fun. Yeah. And he's hanging out with Brian Posehn who's a comedian. So there's a little bit of banter going on. Yeah. Uh, it's, It's the most violent part of the show, but it's also the lightest part of the show. And you'd think that this is like a little bit more of a pathetic character who's like, I'm going to kill everybody. And whoops, I slipped sort of like (laughs) almost a slapstick character. And, and it ends up like killing him is the thing that's going to resolve everything or, you know, bring the drama up a notch. Yeah. But it's like, they're just sort of cleaning ranks at the end of the first season in preparation for a second season. And it's not so messy that they needed to do that. No, like the whole Benedict Wong thing with him trying to save his family and everything like that. And there's Mm. this really horrible thing where it's like his wife jumps in front of a bullet to save their daughter. And it's really Mm. brutal. And, um, Serge, are you okay? You okay, Serge? He's sharpening his claws. Not on the rug, buddy. Come on. <laughs> we have all these things. Okay. Um, that's our cat, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it feels like the Benedict Wong subplot is like kind of where we're going with this, and he's recruited some of his students to help kill his sister, and that doesn't go well. And, mm-hmm. you know, that feels like more of what the show is about, like sort of yeah. fighting for the heart of murder, where she wants it well, to be it's... this cold, callous, evil endeavor, and Benedict Wong thinks that, right or wrong, uh, that the careful application of the death penalty uh, is actually a means with which to heal society. Mm. I disagree with that, but at least he has an ethos. Like that's a that's a war for the school. That's mm. a war for the ethos of the series. Killing fuckface is a digression that's just big. Yeah, and it's so big it well, takes just, up it, the whole goddamn final episode. It, it, and. And the previous one, too, because they kind of gear up and get ready. Oh, they're and gearing to up it. for, like, yeah. five episodes to kill Fuckface. Yeah, and we yeah. keep cutting back to Fuckface as he's doing terrible things on that house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So, yeah, what, what's the... Is the school even important anymore at that point? Not like, really. that they're going to assassin school has nothing to do with Fuckface. After a while, it doesn't. And their skill, like, what they learned at school doesn't come into play. Well, it does. They're killing people. I, I, they're killing a I, whole bunch of, I, like, kills of I suppose, dudes. but I wish it had, like, sort of read a little bit better. It's like, oh, I remember this from Kung Fu class. Right, you're setting, up, from, yeah. you're setting up all the, There's these weird moments where, like... They, the one, there's one class that they take. It's, like, atypical weaponry. Mm. Where they're put into uh, sort of an elaborate, you know fake situation and they grab which, things like off tables and yeah stuff. you don't have you don't have conventional weaponry here you're just in a kitchen kill the guy yeah. and there's a can of pumpkin pie filling wham yeah exactly mm. and so the whole thing is you have to learn how to arm yourself when there are no conventional weapons around then like the next episode they're like they're, they do the breakfast club episode where they're all in detention oh God, yeah and uh, then a whole bunch of ninjas come in they're trying to kill Lana Condor for reasons that have nothing to do with the school and uh, they're in like the the library and they're just like we don't have any weapons I'm like motherfucker you're taking a class <laughs> in how to turn anything into a weapon you're in a library for God's sakes there's tons of shit there's ladders there's books kill someone with a marble globe you yeah, get there, something there's you know? all kinds of shit I could come up with I would I would be no good, but I could at least like come up with an idea for what you could use as a weapon. Because you're introducing the whole point is you're supposed to learn how to be these great killers. What? Who's learning? Yeah, yeah. who's learning? It's like Marcus and, can't be the only one. And, and they go in and they kill like this mad, drugged up hillbilly family. You'd yeah. think that would be easy pickings for assassin kids. Like some of them are just. Well, I think the idea is that they're basically like mad dogs. They're just yeah, so. Yeah. 
so feral. So yeah. feral, so unconventional in the way that they are attacking, and so like don't give a shit if they themselves get injured mm. that they're un they're unprepared to fight that. Mm. That's a thing. That's an actual thing. Like someone who is actually inexperienced so, yeah. with weaponry can be more dangerous than someone who is because you don't know what they're gonna do. Mm. I'm fine with that. But like, yeah, it's just a weird fucking show. Um mm. if Deadly Class had lasted hundred episodes I'd be very surprised. Um, <laughs> this feels like a show with an expiration date on it, like kind of like Harry Potter, where it goes from like when he goes to school to when he graduates. Mm -hmm. That's where it is. So I feel like Deadly Class has got like four seasons in it tops. Um, uh, yeah, maybe that, that's where I am. Like, well, I think he comes in as a freshman, he leaves as a senior, and we're done. It starts in '87. Yeah, and uh, let's see, Reagan. Yeah, Reagan was out of office by '88. Yeah, so. How about the frustration of that? It's like I want to, I want to kill, I want to kill Ronald Reagan. Oh shoot! Now Clinton is off, is in office. Well, no, it's Bush. This? Or I guess, but yeah, Bush, Bush is next. But yeah, Bush, more of a lateral Bush move, senior. But yeah, you know, like it's well, it's the same like, political party. You can yeah. keep that anger going. That's I true. Guess, but Just, whatever. Um, and will they get to the Iraq War at some point? I guess it, during the Bush administration, or does that not exist in this this universe? No, I think it's the same universe. It's just mm. like a little side corner of it. Mm. Um, in any case, was Deadly Class canceled mm. too soon? No. No, no, it wasn't. No. It, it's. I would love them. I would love them to continue as a Spotify list. Yeah, because the music is really the, spot on. There's really good musical choices throughout the entire mm -hmm. show. Uh, here, here's what I'd like. I'd like um, a, a specially curated Spotify list with narration from Marcus in between, telling us about his experiences, and you have the music <laughs> just sort of inform his story, and you turn it into this sort of audio play. I don't think you want from Marcus. I think you just want one from all the different characters. Basically. Oh, there he is. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if I can handle Marcus's inter internal guess, monologue. Yeah. Drove me up the fucking wall. Well, I, I guess so yeah. We, we need different kinds of music and different perspectives. Yeah. So yeah, we get like something from each character. They give a little yeah. bit of a spiel. Like don't enact anything. Just sort of like diary entries, and then you have music to inform yeah. what what was going on in sort of the punk head in 1987. Yeah, this was kind of a bummer because there are parts of it that are genuinely good. I really do like the cast for the most part. I think everyone mm. in the cast acquits themselves quite nicely and I'd like to see them in other things if uh, I haven't yet. Marcus has protagonist syndrome and that he's just, a, a little bit too much of a cipher. Um, at least after a while. And when he's not a cipher, he's mm. just generic, angry yeah. teen. I, I really wasn't feeling it. Uh, I, um, I, when, he, when he starts telling us what life is like, I'm mm. like, you don't fucking have a yeah. goddamn clue what life is like. You're 17. You don't yeah. fucking know a damn thing. I'm sorry. Well, you're saying that from somebody in their late 30s. No, but... I knew that at the time. Like, yeah. I remember when I was uh, when I was in college, I was like 18, when mm. uh, Avril Lavigne's... Avril Lavigne starts, first got popular. Oh, gosh, you're such a child. I know. But uh, <laughs> when her first or second single opened with Avril Lavigne, who was like 17 at the time, saying, Hey, mm. life's like this. And I remember thinking <laughs> at the age... I'm like one year older than her. And I'm thinking to myself, You have no idea! I don't have any idea. Yeah. You have no idea. We're not going to know what "quote unquote" life is like until we take a whole bunch of philosophy classes and live to be fifty. Come on, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, uh, that you're espousing a worldview that's like so. God. Like I'm just. I'm not even like I believe this. Like yeah. no, no, no. Let me tell you what reality is. And I'm like, sure thing, <laughs> Avril Lavigne. Well, to be fair, I know when I was fifteen, I I said things like that. Well, of I, I understood because when you're fifteen, you think you know everything. This and... is why we have editors when we put stuff out. Like no. someone, someone at the at the goddamn you know record studio should have just said, "Cut that line out." It's a good song. It's a hit song. Cut that line. Well, she's 17. She's speaking to other 17-year-olds. They're all on the same wavelength, man. And we're trying to tap into the youth market. It's anyway. fine the, to, to make it completely cynical and money-driven. Uh, 
and if again, there's there's a, definitely an immaturity to that. There's sure. uh, there's a lot of a lot of people like their teen years because they feel sort of emboldened. They, they finally have access to things like you know knowledge and new kinds of books and sex. And so, yeah, they think they know everything, and they start telling adults how it is, man. It's like, come on, man. I'm twi- I've, I've done everything you've done twice. <laughs> twice your age. It's, it's a part of the young experience where, like, mm. you feel all of it. Because you're feeling all these things for the first time, mm. they're really overwhelming, and they kind of make you feel powerful. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah, yeah. you know all this new mm. shit you never knew before, but what you don't so, realize is how little you know. And, and ro- so, rolling with that adolescent mindset is okay, because that can feel very freeing as well. Yeah. Espe- you, you feel very powerful, and that's what a lot of the punk thing is we now have the power to destroy yeah we've seen the world it's bullshit and we have the power to destroy it and we can destroy ourselves and you know nihilism death that's the only end to all this we believe in entropy this show doesn't believe in any of that this this show is uh has more to do with something like twilight or harry potter than it does with punk rock but that's but that's that's the basic Mm. genre weird school Weird, Weird school is a genre, my, and I yeah, like that genre. I'm not talking about the genre. I'm talking no, about the no. attitude. No, no, big, no, no, no. Mm. You're, you're missing my point. Mm. Uh, my point is that it's weird school, mm. and then you take that premise and you put whatever you want in mm. there, and you can make something really positive. And they decided to make something that was punk rock, but because mm. I don't know if they didn't have the nerve, or maybe something from the comic didn't translate, or whatever, it just comes across as performative anger rather than actual anger yeah and as a result it feels a little insincere and i wouldn't be surprised if that's something people picked up on because i can imagine me and when i'm 20 Mm -hmm. being more into this because it's so brash and there isn't a lot like that on tv even now there isn't a lot yeah well just it it bothers to be violent and that's no it's not even bothered to be violent just bothered to be profane like you know like that's just in your face profane Mm. there's a scene in the show where uh, our protagonist who's having a terrible day and he's working at a comic book store and this one kid keeps bugging him and he really has to fart Mm. and so he's gonna I'm just gonna fart in that kid's face but then it turns out not fart that's a whole scene. We linger on that for a while. That's that, that was important to film. And I'm watching this and I'm just like, pass. It just feels crass for its own sake. Um, mm. So yeah, I agree. I don't think this was canceled too soon. I think um, they, they took their shot. Mm. Um, there are things that are good about it. Uh, but it... No, I don't think I don't think the groundwork is here for a good series. Yeah, yeah. it's a shame because I like the premise and I like the cast and there's good stuff every once in a while. But I, no. I, I, I like the concept, but I think they they just didn't have the right attitude. No, I think they whiffed it a little yeah. bit. But uh, so that's Deadly Class, and that is it for suddenly last season. We will be back next week with ooh, we found a thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is something we stumbled upon kind of recently. Completely uh, random. And, and I, I know we have a lot of requests that we want to get to. But and we will always will. There's we, no I, shortage. Yeah, well, there's no shortage of requests. And we're going to get to your requests. But uh, th- this is one we couldn't resist. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that Emma Stone, Academy Award winner, hmm. Emma Stone. Star of Movie 43 and Aloha. Really? Really? She was in those movies. You can't I'm say not I'm saying wrong. She, I'm not saying she wasn't, but like that's where we're going. That's where we're going. Okay. Uh, she got her start, her very first screen credit, mm. in a failed pilot episode, which did air, we have been able to track it down, of The New Partridge Family. <laughs> Come on, get happy again. However, that's not all. Because she didn't just get that part, mm. she won that part on a reality TV show that was searching for The New Partridge Family. 
We got that episode as well. <laughs> and we're going to do a twofer. Uh, two, two for pilot. Two different pilots. I cannot fucking wait. I hope it's great. I really do. I hope it's the delight and it's the discovery of the century. This is going to be so much fun. Doesn't that sound so artificial to you? Like they're, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people complain about the monkeys because they're a prefab band. Yeah. That's like they had auditions. A lot of, a lot of bands are prefab bands. Um, Emma Stone rising to fame because she won a contest. It seems so cheap, but we'll, we'll explore like, that. We'll it explore sounds that. like if they fictionalized her life, how they mm. pretend yeah. she got famous. But it turns out, yeah. but <laughs> turns out all, she's great. And but, I love Emma Stone. It's and, awesome. And in the world of American Idol, who's to say? So, yeah. so it's very, very fun. We're going we're gonna to do that next week. Um, we also have our big 175th episode coming up. We're doing a show that... Uh, I actually just found out Whitney had never seen, and I thought it had been a formative experience for him. Yeah. So we're going to do a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, we have a poll uh, that will be up on our Patreon, if not today, then certainly tomorrow, uh, for our another show for us mm-hmm. to review in December. December isn't a theme month or anything, so it's just a random assortment of four shows we have in our library that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, and we, Whitney and picked them one? out at random. I picked one out at random. <laughs> when Whitney picked one that we wouldn't have time to do because it was like 50 hours long. Well, it, it looked interesting, but yeah. Yeah, like, no, it's 50, 50 hours long. We need to... Series. We, we, we'll get to Young Hercules eventually, but we need to plan <laughs> for it. All right, so your four options on the poll, and this is over at Patreon. <laughs> Excuse this me. is over at Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, is the animated series Father of the Pride, mm. uh, which is a CG animated series about uh, the jungle cats who work for Siegfried and Roy. Uh, so that was made at a very specific mm. time. Uh, and we would, of course, talk about the actual story behind that. I, I, um, and I... It was an NBC series, I think. Yeah. Um, was it NBC? Really? Yeah, like it sounds it, like a UPN Doesn't it show, sound like UPN? Yeah. Like, holy crap. <laughs> All right, so the next, your next option is a show oh. called Gross Point. Uh, this is from the uh, creator of Sex in the City. And this is a teen sexy soap opera that is set backstage... Of a teen sexy soap opera. So it's basically mm. what happened behind the scenes at Beverly Hills 90210. And it has nothing to do with the film Gross Point Blank. No, even though it's spelled the same, which is weird. Uh, next up, we have a show called Kidnapped, which is about a kidnapping. Uh, has a hell of a cast in it. Uh, it's Jeremy Sisto, Carmen Ajogo, uh, Delroy Lindo, Linus Roach, Timothy Hutton, McKelty Williamson, Dana Delaney. Oh, like, wow. Okay. Good good people assembled for it. it I one love of those, Delroy Lindo. It's one of those shows that was uh, trying to tell like one crime over the course of an entire season. Mm. Um, and I that, remember, when that was a little bit of a novelty. Yeah, I remember this getting good reviews, but I've never seen it, so that's another option we mm. got for you right there. And then lastly, Sea Monsters, because we're doing Surface, maybe, if you vote for it. Uh, <laughs> turns out there are Sea Monsters, and... Mm. Um, and it's a sea monster show. Yeah, and fittingly enough, in a show about uh, water monsters, mm-hmm. it stars Lake Bell. Because her name is Lake. Her name is Lake. I actually like Lake Bell a lot. She's great. She's a re- really wonderful, fascinating person Super and great talented. actress. Very yeah. funny, very talented. I'm a big, big I, fan. I, I still haven't seen the film she directed. I know. She, so she, she did a film about voice performers called In a World. Uh, and I heard all of the interviews about it. I was really looking forward to it, and I couldn't. I, it just closed really fast. Yeah, it's still available, and so we can find yeah. it. I just never got around to it. But um, so those are your options over at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Everyone, every one of our patrons gets to vote for that, even for one dollar mm-hmm. uh, a month. Uh, however, for larger contributions, you get exclusive content like our Star Trek podcast, all our yesterdays. We're reviewing every Star Trek episode ever in production order. Uh, only the best, where we review every single nominee for Best Picture in chronological order. 
Tons of other stuff as well. We're playing a little bit of catch-up with that, but after this weekend, our schedule frees up a lot. Mm. So we're going to be doing a lot of catch-up, and it's going to be really, really cool. Uh, so that's that. Don't forget, you can email us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We, if you uh, write in, we might read your letter and respond to it on our letter show, We've Got Mail, over here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. And, uh, of course, we are on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. I want to thank everybody for listening, and that is a wrap. We'll see you next season.